I want to tell you a story. <clears throat> there, was a, there was a young boy who had a really messed up self-image. He had no confidence. He didn't believe in himself. He believed that he was not very good looking and very unattractive, not handsome at all. He had large ears that stuck out, and he would get teased by other kids about the way he looked. He also moved around a lot. <clears throat> His family moved around a lot. So he was always trying to make new friends and start over. And this boy had a secret that only his family knew about, and it brought him great shame. He tried to keep the secret as best he could, but try as he might, his secret would get out. <clears throat> the more he hung out with his friends, the older he got, this humiliating secret would be found out, and that secret that he had was that he wet his bed almost every night. This humiliating secret haunted him. No matter how hard he tried not to do it, it always seemed to happen. He would stay awake long after everyone else would fall asleep. He wouldn't drink any liquids before bed. He would go to the bathroom multiple times before falling asleep, but nothing worked. This boy's heart was a mess. He was literally broken inside. He was like most other boys, though, and enjoyed overnight stays at his friend's house with his brothers and close friends, or having them over to his house to stay the night, watch movies, eat junk food, and do the normal things that kids do. But see, this was dangerous. And it cost him dearly several times as the secret would betray him and the others would find out. This continued until the boy was 11 years old. And this boy was me. I want to talk to you this morning about labels and how we label each other and how we label things see labels are dangerous we put labels on everything from clothes to food to goods to services like the clothes you're wearing right now carry a label and more than likely you wear that piece of clothing or your jays your jordan right because of the label right it, it, it means something to you you put value on that but they can be dangerous La labels are used for identification purposes a lot of times a label is used to attach value or worth to something right it could be it could be the shoes right 
I had a, recently had a pair of Yeezys that someone actually blessed me with, right? Like, gave me a brand new pair of Yeezys. I'm like, and this was before Kanye declared Jesus as king. And, and so I, I was like, man, I never had Yeezys. I've heard about them, but I just, yeah, okay. And then they gave me this pair of Yeezys. Because, Pastor Scott, we know you're a shoe guy. How many know I'm a shoe guy? Okay, all right, most of you. So they gave me this pair of Yeezys, right? And I was just like, wow, this is great. And then I looked up the value of the Yeezys, and I was like, holy cow, these are, these are really expensive shoes. But why were they expensive? Because of the value that was placed on them, the value that society said those things are worth that. And actually, they're worth more if you buy them when they first come out and wait a little bit till everybody wants a pair and then sell them for more than the actual retail price. They have value because of the label. They're descriptors. Labels are descriptors. They can be good or they can be bad, especially if applied to people. I mean, let's think about it. Let's, let's think about how Jesus himself has been labeled. If you were to poll people just randomly, you probably would get a lot of different answers about who Jesus was. Many would say that don't know him as Savior would say, oh, they would agree with you that Jesus was a good man. They would say, oh, he's a great teacher. He, he, some would even say, label him a prophet. He was a good man that lived a lot of years ago, and he did a lot of good. And we read about him in what's called the Bible. Other people, like myself and some of you, hopefully most of you, hopefully all of you, Label him as king of kings and lord of lords. Label him as your savior. Label him as the son of God. So what about you, though? What labels have you carried in your life that were put there by somebody else? See, labels are made for quick recognition. They are judgments made easily and quickly. How about this? How about labels that a city carries? Think about the city of Stockton and the labels that have been put on this city. Again, if you asked the man on the street or the woman on the street, tell me about Stockton. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of descriptors about Stockton. Most of them are probably negative. Why is that? Because when a label gets put on something and then gets repeated by somebody else, it goes like wildfire. It perpetuates. It's easy then to talk about something that has a label on it. I read a recent poll. Of course, there's been several of these that have come out over the last 10 years or so. And this recent poll said that Stockton ranked the worst city to live in in California. And I'm like, they didn't ask me. <laughs> Who are they talking to? Are they talking to people outside of Stockton? Did they even poll 
someone that lives here, I don't know. What they did was they compiled some data. And based on this data, this formula, based on income and unemployment rates and gang violence and all of these things and the price of gasoline <laughs> and the cost of living and all, all these factors and they determined that Stockton was the worst city to live in in California. Now I've been in some other cities in California so I kind of find it hard to believe because there's some that rank up there. So I don't know if I agree with the poll, especially because I live here. But see, they label it. And then it was interesting because this, this was, it was carried by multiple media streams. And, and it actually said California's, or Stockton is the worst city to live in in California. And it, it's in the top 10 worst cities to live in in America. And again, I'm like, they didn't ask me. Who are they talking? Again, it's just this data that they're, they probably didn't talk to a whole lot of people. They just said, based on this data, Stockton is the worst, is in the top ten of the worst cities to live in the United States. Now, I don't know if you agree with that or not. But again, if there's anything negative about Stockton that you feel, it's probably because you were told that by somebody or you read it somewhere. Now, I've had my truck broken into and crazy stuff happen here, and it's easy to attach that to my city. But heck, you can go to live in San Ramon and get your house broken into, right? You could go to the ritziest, glamorous neighborhoods with the um, gated communities and all of that, and your stuff can still get stolen. You could still be assaulted in those places. See, when I read this poll, there was a lot of people talking about it, and of course, people from Stockton started talking about it, and it was interesting because there was not really one person that said anything positive. They all came into agreement, and some of them used to live here and don't live here anymore, and they said, yeah, see, that's why I got out. That's why I got out. And most of the posts, the, re the, the media posts, the tweets, the retweets, and the shares were all pointing to the negative image of Stockton. But we all know these things don't define the whole city of Stockton. Would you agree? See, there are actually way more great things about Stockton than there are bad. It's the truth. What about, uh, what about churches? How many know a church that somebody slapped a label on? I'm guilty of it, right? I'm sure this church probably has some labels slapped on it. We've changed the way that we do things and, and who we were as Innovation Church and now, you know, now uh, 360 Church and not different pastor, right? I'm not Lance Kaufman, right? Um, I'm sure that there are some folks that labeled us different than how we used to be, good or bad. We sometimes will describe a church, that church is boring, that church is dry, or that's an alive church, or how about this one, 
That church is legalistic. Presence-driven, word-based, crazy church, wildfire. The list goes on and on. See, we all use labels on many different things. What about Yelp reviews, Google reviews, right? It's all a form of labeling. It's a way for you to let somebody else know your opinion about a certain thing. Right? And it's, for the most part, it's positive. But how many know that when somebody does a review online, it's usually because they're mad that something happened? So when things go really good, a lot of times you don't really, I mean, it's getting better. Like, we're really trying to encourage people. In fact, if you need to go do a, we highly recommend that you do a review of 360 Church. Uh, because we, since we changed the name and it, it, these things matter, we want people to know we're here. So when you do reviews and they're good reviews, hint, hint, good reviews, uh, it becomes more, we, we have a more online visible presence. So if you haven't done a review of 360 Church, please go do that. Google reviews, Yelp reviews, all help. You, you can say that the preaching is fire. Amen. What does God say about labels? Especially when he's, when he's talking about you. What does God say? What's the label that he puts on you? Glad you asked. Turn to Proverbs 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 22. It'll be on the screen. If you don't have your Bible with you or your tablet or your phone. Verse 20 says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them in healing to their whole body. We could just take an offering and go home right now. If you understand what God just said in that scripture. It's an amazing passage. He says, don't lose sight of them. My words, let them penetrate deep into your heart. They bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. It really begins in verse 23. He just got through saying, let his word penetrate your heart deep. But then he says, guard your heart. Guard it. For it determines the course of your life. Some translations say it's the wellspring of life. It's where life literally ebbs and flows out of you. Like a spring. Guard your heart above all else. See, there's some nuggets to be discovered in this passage. Listen to the words. Fix your sight on them. He says, listen to my words. 
Fix your sight on them. Let them penetrate deep in your heart. They bring life and healing. And then once my words are in there, guard your heart. Your life depends on it. I'm paraphrasing here. Avoid jacked up talk. Corrupt speech, i.e. bad labels. Negative language. Look straight ahead. Fix your gaze on what lies ahead. And I'm just giving you, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Ga fix your gaze on what lies ahead, Jesus and his word. And then map out a straight path and stay on it. Don't get sidetracked and allow your feet to follow evil. This is God speaking directly to you and me about labels. He is saying, find out what I say about you and believe that. Listen to me. God always, say always. always. He always speaks to my identity, to your identity. He always speaks to your identity and my identity early and often. Remember last week's message we talked about Gideon. It's the first thing the angel of the Lord said when he appeared to Gideon. Valiant warrior. He was in a hole in the ground, hiding. And Jesus said, because I believe that it was pre-incarnate Jesus that appeared to him, and he said, valiant warrior. Is that so that we skip over that? See, time and time again, God, when he addresses someone in scripture he speaks early and often to their identity first he wants them to understand this is how i see you this is the lens that i'm viewing you from and many times it doesn't line up with the circumstances of this person's life who they're living who they're if you looked at their life you wouldn't say jesus descriptions don't add up to what he just said about this person Right? In Genesis chapter 11 through 17, God speaks to Abram and Sarai. Sorry if I'm pronouncing her name wrong. And he changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. How many remember that scriptures, that, that story? Might have to go back to Sunday school. See, Abram literally means exalted father. See, he was a father figure. He was, he was a, a, a man of influence already and he he carried a father's heart but he was childless him and his wife couldn't have kids Sarai means princess literally that's the name what Sarai means and God says your name is not princess anymore and he changed the name from Sarai to Sarah and see, some of you might read it and, and do a study on it. There wasn't a whole lot of difference, but there was one distinct difference. Because princess is kind of a nice name to have. Am I right, ladies? If your name means princess, you're probably pretty happy. But God saw her deeper than that. And it was because of the covenant that he cut with Abraham. It was because of the covenant that he made with Abraham, that he made with man. And he said, because of this covenant, I want you to understand how I see you. And that's going to require me to change your name, if so ever slightly. So he changed Abram to Abraham. So from exalted father 
to Father of nations. Very slight. Transliteratory, and that's not even a word. I just made it up. <laughs> Meaning, Abraham, Abram to Abraham. But the difference is huge. Exalted father, a man that carries the heart of a father, but that's childless. To a man that literally his seed would spawn nations. Huge difference. And this was before Isaac came along and Ishmael. God was speaking to Abraham's future. The same with Sarai. So Sarai is princess, and God says, no, now your name is Sarah. There's a difference there. And really, when you study this slight difference, what it means is a, a woman a noble wife, a woman of nobleness. But really, in the, the, the meaning behind it is you were princess, and now your noble woman esteemed. What he was saying is you're going from princess to queen. How many know there's a difference there? It's one thing to be a princess. It's another to be the queen. That's literally what God was saying. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus meets Simon the fisherman for the first time. Preached this message before. It's fire message. You could go back and listen to it on podcasts. And yes, that was a shameless plug for our... And if you don't have our podcast, you can find them on our app. If you don't have our app, you can download the app, and you should have it. Another shameless plug. But on the app, you can go to any of their podcasts over the last few months. And I believe it was in the series, The Boat, one of my first series, that we talked about this, that God always will speak to your identity. And when he met Simon Peter for the first time, in that first engagement, and it was literally Peter's brother that said, we, I think we found the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. And I want to take you to meet him. And when Peter went with his brother and he met Jesus for the first time. The very first thing that Jesus did in that encounter was he changed his name. See, uh, is it already that time? Holy moly. Got to rock and roll. See, Simon meant literally listener or one who listens. Or some variation of that. Now we read about Simon in the scriptures as a disciple and he's far from that, right? Like he's like the first one that always opens his mouth and usually sticks his foot right in it. But Jesus in that encounter, he says this, he says, you are no longer Simon, but you will be called Cephas or translated Peter, which means rock. And then he, as he describes the future to Peter, he speaks to his destiny. And he speaks to Peter's destiny and he says this. Now, I know some of you, some, we can debate on Jesus was talking about himself when he said the rock, but he just called Simon a rock. 
the, he called, he said, your name's going to be changed to Peter, which means rock. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He was speaking to Peter while he was saying that. He was saying, and who, and who was the leader of the early church? Peter, after Jesus ascended. Peter was. What he was doing, he was speaking to Peter and his destiny, and he said, you are one that has spent night after night after night in a fishing boat and the early morning cleaning the nets. But I am going to make you fishers of men. And it's, you have something inside of you, and I'm going to change your name that speaks to your destiny. Jesus cares about labels. God sees you differently most, most times than you see yourself. Back to Proverbs 4, and I'm going to speed up and start talking faster. Why is it important to guard your heart? Your heart determines your life. There were some scientific studies recently, and it just it's fascinating to me. I was reading this this week, and it's, it says specifically to how the brain works. And they found that gratitude or being grateful literally changes your brain. Did you, did you catch what I just said? That, that having a grateful mindset, living a life of gratitude changes the makeup of your brain. It's scientific. Like they were able to study how the, the brain works. See, and they also in this, they said that they, 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 they found that like, Gratefulness cannot be faked. Like you could say, I'm thankful for this, but it's still not reaching the level of gratefulness. That's a, that's a good place to start, being thankful. Like gratefulness and having gratitude is something you have to cultivate. It, it becomes a lifestyle where you have, to, you have to be purposeful about it. And when you do that, there's, you, you can't fake it. There's a point where you actually start to feel it. And no, we, we, we often teach that emotions and feelings can be tricky. But in this case, it's the way God designed us. When we begin to have a, live a life of gratitude and gratefulness, and we keep at it, and we, we're purposeful about it, it gets down on the inside of us, and it literally changes the neural pathways in our brain. This is not even Bible, folks. This is like scientific studies that they've done. They're doing these brain, these complicated brain scans, and they're gathering data of what happens. And a couple of things that happens it, it, when you live a life of gratitude, it unshackles one from toxic emotions. There's a point where you begin to unhinge yourself. My son growing up, when he played baseball, he, he was a big kid. He wasn't necessarily fat. He was just a big kid. And I just thought of this story, and it's kind of funny. But whenever he would hit the ball and he would be running, and it would be an extra base hit, right? Like he would, and he would be running and say like he hits the ball to the outfield and he's going to round first to go to second and maybe try to go to third. Because he was a big kid, it was very deceptive. He was fast. But he didn't look fast because he was big. How many know kids like that? You put him up against the small little fast kids and he's right there. But when you're watching him run, he's so big that he doesn't really necessarily. And I used to yell at him. 
as he's rounding first, because I'm coaching and I'm watching the ball, and I would say, unhitch the wagon. Right? So what gratitude does, it, it, it begins to allow the wagon to be unhitched and frees us from toxic emotions built up from our past. It helps us even if we keep it, see, gratitude helps us even if we keep it to ourselves and don't share it. That's what these studies are showing. So you could live a life of gratitude and not really tell anybody else, just internally processing things and being grateful and not sharing it and, it, and it does wonders for you, and you haven't even shared it with anybody else. The benefits take time and practice, and it might take some time to actually feel it, and it actually has long-lasting effect, a long-lasting effect on the brain. What they found was, like, they put these people through this gratefulness, life of gratitude study, and then when it ended, they went back three months later, and they could see, the, they were able to measure the effects that were still there crazy they had these elaborate brain scans they noticed greater brain activity in the medial prefrontal prefrontal cortex that caused new neural pathways to be built it's fascinating stuff see the feelings of gratitude don't well here's this is one of the most important things that they discovered this is crazy They actually found that these feelings of gratitude don't originate in your brain. They actually are a product of our physical human heart. So what they've discovered is that there's signals that the brain sends to your heart and the heart sends back to your brain. And they actually say that the heart sends more signals to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. Think about that. You're, basically your heart has a brain of its own. Right? When the person is feeling positive emotions like love, appreciation, gratitude, the heart literally beats differently. The sinus rhythm of the heart changes. It sends unique signals to your brain. Our hearts create a large electromagnetic field, and I'm not, this is pure science, guys. This isn't ooey-gooey, new-agey stuff. Like, literally, because of the way you're designed and the way your body is put together, your heart creates an electromagnetic field. And they're studying this field, and they're gathering the data. And when someone comes in close proximity to you, you can affect them or be affected positively or negatively. Again, this is not new agey gobbledygook. But as it turns out, is how our bodies are actually created and designed. I'll give you an example. If you're married, you probably know this. There's sometimes where you feel distant from your spouse. Isaac, you're feeling that this morning. So the video that I sent out, and I sent you guys a text and said, hey, send, a, send me a video for Pastor Victoria's birthday. Well, Isaac was at the Raider game, and he sent me the Raider. You guys saw it. So he would have been dimed out on his own anyway. I just told 
his wife, when she came in, hey, did you get the memo about the video? She's like, what video? <laughs> so Isaac's in trouble, y'all. <laughs> but I figure it's better that she finds out before the actual video, because if she would have seen that, you guys, <laughs> it would have been a mess. <laughs> you guys, you would have heard her. What? <laughs> oh, Lord. See, spouses, sometimes you feel really distant from your spouse. And other times, you feel really connected. Why is that? Literally, there's, it, it, there's something magical that's happening there. Like, when, you, when, you're, when you're walking in unity with your spouse and you're connected and, and you're intimate together, like, literally, you're, you guys maybe have heard this, like, your, your heartbeats will be beating differently, but then when you come together, the heartbeats begin to synchronize and line up. Right? It's, it's proven. You can look it up. I'm not making it up. See, husbands, husbands and wife, when they connect and are close physically and spiritually, emotionally, their heartbeats come into sync with one another. The rhythm becomes the same. Think about this. Think about the church. Think about that when, when the scriptures say to come together in unity. Let's talk about the book of Acts where the 120, Jesus has been crucified, buried, and resurrected, and ascended. And he said, go and wait together, because I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And it says that they were in the upper room praying, and they were all in one accord. There was something incredible that was happening. What that meant it was that their hearts were all beating the same there was something going on in that room that they became that's why it's sometimes when we pray we we get in a circle and we get close to each other it's the way god designed our bodies see that's why i always speak against isolating yourself that's why i always uh, encourage you to come to church that's why i always encourage you to come to hub groups because Right now, the way you're sitting, you're in close proximity, but you'll be in more close proximity as if you're sitting around a table or a, as a group together in a more intimate setting. That's why our small groups are so important. It's where life happens. We don't just say it. It's where relationship is built. See, your heart matters. It is of vital importance. There's three types of labels, and I know I'm going over. I'm just going to roll through them. Number one, labels that are st that labels that others stick on us. I'm going to do a quick demonstration, and I'm going to ask Bobby since you're sitting here in the you got to come up, Bobby. You 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 my guinea pig. You sitting in the front. I need you just to stand right here. You can turn around. Turn around. Are you going to hit me like that? That's it, Pastor Abuse. Now you speak in my language. Yeah, you know, I keep it real. Rage Against Machinery coming back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what did I say? Extra what? Extra heavy now? Come on now. More to love. <laughs> exactly, see?
All right, I got a few more, but you get the idea. Just stand there, Bobby. <clears throat> labels that others st stick on us. How many have some labels that's been stuck on you? See, the dangerous thing about labels is that it takes our eyes away and our focus away from our straight path that we've ma mapped out. It takes our eyes away and off of what Jesus says and the direction that he is leading us in. The dangerous thing about stickers and labels is this. He takes it off. And now his focus is on the label. And everything, all of his senses, his eyes, his mouth, as he's reading it, his ears that are hearing what he's saying, and his attention goes to the label. In Proverbs 4, that's what God is talking about. He's warning. He's saying, guard your heart. Because when you re take off the label and you begin to focus on that, you were going this way, but all of a sudden you stop and you read and you believe. And if you do it long enough, it gets down inside of you, inside of your heart. And you begin to believe it. And your actions begin to follow what the label says. Your heart starts sending signals to your brain that say, this is who you are. This is what you are. And it perpetuates. It snowballs. See, you can have labels. Thank you, Bobby. You can sit down there. Okay. <laughs> All right. So as you... Here's what God does with labels. He takes them off and he wants you to put them at the altar. See, he can't stop people from putting labels on you. But he can do something about it. Right? He can remove the label. And that's why it's so important. Because when, you, when you're reading that label, your feet stop moving and you read and meditate and contemplate the truthfulness of the, la of the label and it begins to consume you. And it, I read it with my eyes, I speak with my mouth, hear it with my ears and goes directly to my heart. And my heart gets sick and my heart sends the wrong signals to the brain, dysfunction, and death begins to set in. Number two. Labels that we put on ourselves, these are the most dangerous kind. These are the worst kind. They tend to be the loudest and carry the most weight. They do the most damage. They come from comparing ourselves to others, and they can seem overwhelmingly believable. They lead to isolation and withdrawal. This was my life as a young boy, as I described earlier. Circumstances led me to believe the labels 
that I put on myself. It crushed me and sent me into a miserable, anxious early childhood. Here's how it changed for me. When I started playing organized sports, I found out I was a pretty good athlete. And I began to excel. And that one change began to change how I saw myself. And I began to peel those labels off that I had placed on myself. God doesn't let you use them as excuses, though. He doesn't let you use your labels as excuses, ever. He won't let you become or stay a victim. Number three, only the label that God gives you really matters. And God has many labels for you, many descriptions, and they're all good. He even has a new name for you. In Isaiah 62.2, part of it says this. It says, and you will be given a new, this is God speaking, he said, and you will be given a new name out of the mouth of the Lord. Out of the mouth of the Lord, he will give you and I a new name. And how many know that it's just not any name? It's going to be from Abram to Abraham. It's going to be from Sarai to Sarah. From exalted father to father of nations. From princess to queen. God always has something better in mind. And he speaks to your destiny. You are so close to God's heart that he has your name with all of the descriptors, his descriptors and his labels literally tattooed on both hands. Scripture, Isaiah 49, 16, and there's been songs written about this and even passages of, or messages that have been preached on this but this literally means in Isaiah 49 16 it says that God engraves your name in his hands not one hand it's his hands that means every time he raises his hand he sees your name who he says you are the label that he puts on you and it's not just written in a disappearing ink or ink that will be washed off or fades. It's engraved in his hand. Let's pray. God, you're incredible. How you've designed us and how you've made our hearts and you put this body together and Lord, you just... There's a reason why you say guard this precious thing that pumps blood through our veins and keeps us alive. Guard it. Yes, you were talking spiritually, but you're also talking physically because those things transcend one another. And as we begin to understand that our health depends on what we put inside of our heart, and these labels that we label each other with can be so damaging, especially the ones that we put on ourselves. 
We identify with them. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here this morning. We thank you for working in each person's heart this morning. Lord, my prayer this morning is that each person in here would begin to get a greater understanding of the name that you have given them. The destiny that you have called them to. Lord, whatever whatever they're seeing about that destiny would be just the, the capacity to see it in a greater way. Reveal that this morning for each and every one of us here. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. And I just pray for every person that they would have a greater understanding this week of what it means to guard your heart. And as we read earlier about how our hearts affect our brains, that we would begin to walk in a greater life of gratitude, that gratefulness would become our character. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty, mighty name.